so Ecclesiastes 10, here's what's gonna happen. Do you know a fool? Apparently Solomon knew a lot of fools because in his writings, which are Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, he uses the word fool, foolish, or folly 128 times. So it seems like he's well acquainted with fools. And um, you could simply say, this is what Solomon thinks about fools. Don't be a fool because it never works out. It's pretty much, you could take all of his wisdom and that's what he says. So what he's gonna do in chapter 10 is this. He's going to use a fool as an example of what not to do, right? We had chapter seven where he used, hey, here's what a wise person does. So now down the road, he's like, okay, and here's what fools do, don't be a fool. Do you know that you can learn from negative examples? My wife and I were just talking about one on Monday. Uh, We used to go down to Monterey when my wife's grandma and grandpa lived there. And my kids were much smaller then. In fact, we only had two at the time. And we're at this park called Dennis the Menace Park. Anyone ever been there? Monterey? Coolest park in the world. Like it is the model of great parks. So we're at this park, we're loving it. I've got Carissa and Isabella and that's it. They're playing, they're little, they're having a great time. When all of a sudden this car just kind of pulls up and the mom gets out and you can see she's a little flustered and then the car just kind of pukes out five kids. They just kind of come rolling out of it. Well, it turns out that she'd driven a, about an hour from Santa Cruz just to bring her kids to this park. We found, that, we found that out later. So I can kind of understand why she does what she does a little bit uh, because I've been in the car for an hour with my kids. And there are times I felt like just opening the door and jumping out at 70 miles per hour. So I get why she kind of could feel the way she did. So anyways, kids get out there. They're, they're just acting like they're at the park, right? You know, just crazy. So mom's there. She's kind of doing her thing. Well, this nine-year-old little girl, they have these really cool, really long slides. They've got to be like 30 feet long. And there's two of them. So this little nine-year-old girl that had come out of the car, she runs over and she starts trying to run up the slide, right? Like kids do. But there's all these kids trying to come down the slide. So they're stopping them and parents are like, whoa, what's going on? Hey, what? And she's still just, you know, in her own little world, doing her thing, going up the slide. That has to be addressed. Like someone, I get So the mom sees this. She just makes a beeline for her nine-year-old daughter. Just, she's just military style. And I'm like, hey, it has to be done. Now, I don't want to see what she does because it's California and I might be called into court. So I just turn my head. (laughs) Judge, I didn't see anything. I just heard a sound. That's all I know, right? But that's not what happened. She starts screaming at the top of her lungs, just screaming, get off that slide right now. If you don't get up that slide now, we're going to get right back in that car and we'll drive home to Santa Cruz right this minute. And like the entire park, there's probably a hundred kids there. It just like froze. Like the kids on the swing. They're like, what? Right? She just grabs that nine-year-old and just starts like ragdolling her, screaming at her for probably, it seemed like 10 minutes. It was probably a minute and a half straight, but that's eternity, right? I just turned to charity and I said, note to self. Do not yell at your children in the park. Wait to get in the car to do that, right? So you can learn from negative examples. Okay, this is chapter 10. It's fool, 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 fool. Don't be a fool, right? So let's jump in. 
Verse one, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. I just don't see how the Republicans don't grab that verse. And like, this is what we're going to say from now on. (laughs) It's biblical. (laughs) Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. I just titled this, foolish stench. So it begins by saying, if you've got dead flies in this perfumer's ointment, it's gonna stink. Have you noticed that typically women smell better than men? Like as a rule, I'm not saying it's crossed, but just pretty much. Like I remember in college, like we would, my house had a smell to it. I had six roommates, but I would go to like friends' houses that were girls and it was like, man, this place smells good. And we had, a, we had a serious problem for a while in my house. We had six of us in a three bedroom. It was a tiny little house. And there was this smell in the kitchen. We could not figure out what it was. Like we cleaned it as best we could. Couldn't figure out what it was. So we just opened the window in the kitchen. That's just what we did. And this went on for weeks and weeks. And we had one member of our crew, his name was Dougie. And he was the clean guy, right? You always have him. And so he's the clean guy. He's trying to figure it out. He can't figure it out. And then his parents came. And they made Dougie seem like he wasn't a clean guy. They're like, what in the world is this stench? So they started cleaning up the whole place. Like they pulled out the refrigerator. They're cleaning behind the refrigerator. The the dad got underneath the sink and like pulled out that that trap right there. And he's clean and didn't seem nothing. They went to the store. They bought 10 pounds of lemons. And one by one, they shoved these lemons through the garbage disposal, thinking it was the garbage disposal. Nothing, still just stunk. Like stunk, they told Dougie, you gotta move out of here. You're gonna get sick. Don't stay here, right? Well, about three weeks after that, this is going on six or seven weeks. About three weeks after that, Paul Londigan's like, man, that crock pot has been there a long time. Yeah. He grabs it. He's like, oh, oh, no. Like that's how often we use the crock pot, right? It's in the corner. No one's looked at it for two months. Well, he had put a roast in there six weeks before and forgot about it. Yeah, it was alive, man. That thing was like crawling out. That's guys, right? Bachelor pad, smelling. I'm pretty sure Dougie met a girl who smelled like vanilla and just married her. She reminded me of ice cream. I just married her, man. Had this bad memory of college. So the point Solomon's making here is this. Back in this day, ointment, perfume was a valuable asset. You would actually invest in it. You would buy it. It would be like an investment. You would keep it. I I looked online today just to see what's the most expensive ointment today. You know what it is? Cream de Mar, $3,160 for 16 ounces. But it's free shipping. (laughs) I was like, well, give me two pounds then. No problem. (laughs) So random, man. You're only paying two grand. Yeah, it's going to cost us. $4 to ship it, yeah, right? So it's like that. 
Now imagine you ordered that stuff, you get it, you open it up, there'd been a dead fly in it and now there's maggots. Wouldn't you be mad? You'd ruin this, actually probably today it'd be even worth more. Oh, that's really good for your skin, right? So this is the idea. You spent all this money on this very, very expensive perfume and then there's a nasty horse fly in it that's ruined the whole thing. One little thing. So this is, this is what Solomon's saying. You could live a really, really good life and you have one bad mistake. And what do people remember of you? Right? Like, I don't know Richard Nixon very well, but I remember one thing from Richard Nixon. I am not a crook, right? That's what I remember. Watergate, bro. Jimmy Swagger. I don't know anything about his ministry. You know what I remember? Bro got caught with a prostitute, right? Maybe he had a great ministry. Maybe he was anointed. I don't know him. I just know bro was caught with the prostitute, right? Maybe he had a history of that. I don't know. One time he got caught and that's what's remembered. One of my roommates was Johnny Garrett. He was an offensive lineman for the Beavers. We'd hear his name usually once in a game. Guess what it was for? Holding. Number 72, Johnny Garrett. We're like, oh bro, I'm so sorry, right? He could have done every other play perfect, man. Protect the quarterback. Nobody hears about that. It's one holding play and Beavers lose, right? So it's like that. And it's always the little stuff, right? It's a little flirtation at work. It's a little look. It's a little padding of the expense account. It's a little, hey, I'm just gonna experiment with this thing. And look out the road that takes you on. It's not the big giant things they get most of us. Like probably very few of us would walk out of here and have somebody say, bro, you wanna do some black tar heroin? Be like, oh, okay, let me think about that. It's the little things that'll get you though. And so Solomon is saying, look out, look out. Fools don't look out. And then he has this great little, I love verse three. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and says to everyone that he's, he's a fool. Like just the guy walking down the road, you're like, no, nah, that guy's a fool. He's skipping down interstate five. Yeah, that guy's a fool. He shows up at your door to date your daughter wearing a shirt that says beer. It's not just for breakfast anymore. Holding a 40, unshaven with a wrecked car out there. Hey, you're a fool. You're not taking my daughter, right? That's what he's saying. They advertise their own stench. Look out. And it's not just sinful stuff that makes fools a fool. It's just kind of dumb stuff. Wasting your time on things that are insignificant or don't matter. That's what makes a fool. And then he ends this by talking about a foolish boss. If you've got a foolish, angry boss, verse four, keep calm. Don't fight fire with fire. Don't yell back at your boss. Don't go down to his same level. Just, okay, be calm. Don't leave your place. Don't rush out and quit. Maintain your composure. Make, maintain who you are so you don't make the same mistakes that cause a stench in your life. Oh, he's a quitter. Maintain, right? Number one, a foolish stench. Number two, foolish idols, verse six, five. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places. Oh man, I love that verse. And the rich sit in low places. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. 
foolish idols. 100 years ago in America, who were our heroes? Doctors, right? Presidents, professors, scientists, teachers, right? We, we have shows about them. To this day, Edison, right? You can watch. But today, who are our idols? Who are our heroes today? I just like, man, I always get in trouble for this, but I can understand certain things. Like, what, why are the Kardashians popular? I, I just don't get it. I think I'm a fairly intelligent guy. I'm imaginative, I'm creative. And I just say, what? Why? Why, are, why do we worship these people? The, the way they got famous is so sick and wrong. It just it makes no sense to me. That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying that there's things that's so upside down, I can't believe it. I think heroes should be people that have values and goals that I want my kids to mimic and do the same thing as. But I don't, there's not a lot of them anymore. Like, yeesh, right? Foolish idols. Number three, foolish work, verse eight. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. And there's a brilliant one. Right? So each one of these are linked together. The guy digging the hole falls into it. The guy cutting the stone pulls out the one little stone that's holding up the five ton boulder and it rolls over the top of him. The guy that's logging and trying to cut down a tree has a very dull ax and it splinters and barber chairs and shish kebabs him and it's a widow maker. The snake charmer, before he charms the snake, before he can get control of this snake, it bites him. That last one, I actually witnessed this. It's my very first trip to India. And we'd go into these villages and we'd share the gospel. Uh, we'd usually uh, do some kind of a really silly skit Grown men doing silly skits. Uh, I wish we had video of it. I've got Jim Wright and me doing these silly like skits you would do for preschoolers. And, and we did many of them. So we had done like six of these. It was night, it was probably 10.30 at night. And they're like, let's do one more village. We're out in this area, let's do one more village. Okay, let's do it. So we show up at this village, we get there and like, hey, this is a snake charmer village. I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. So we do our skit and we share the gospel and we're talking and then, and then it's, it's probably 1130 now and we're in this little square and the square is only like maybe 20 feet in diameter. It's really tight, it's dark. There's all these buildings around. You're just kind of nestled in there pretty tight. And there's this guy that comes out and he's this old guy and on his ring finger, he's missing a lot of his finger. Like at the first knuckle, it just kind of, the, the skin tapers down to the bone and then the bone was sharpened like a really nice pencil. So you're just like, oh. So I'm like, I asked our interpreter, like, what happened to that guy's finger? Oh, he got bit by a cobra and he had to cut off his finger really quick to save his life. I'm like, Eesh, that's brutal, right? And then the guy's like, oh, I have a snake right now. Do you want to see it? I'm like, no, I'm good, actually. 
And so for some reason, he goes and gets his snake and he's got it in this like burlap sack. And you can see the snake in the, in the sack, right? It's like kind of turning over. It's like as big as probably two or three garden hoses. It's like that, I'm like, sheesh. Like king cobras are the only snake that can kill an elephant. Did you know that? They don't have the most, they're, they're like number four on the more, most poisonous for their venom, but they have a massive amount of it. Like they have more venom than any other snake. So when they bite, like they're the only thing that can kill an elephant. They have enough venom in them to just like, so they're incredible. They're, they're crazy. So this guy brings, and I'm like, oh, so now you're like, you know how it is? It's dark. You're in a foreign place. And there's a snake out that can kill everybody in this entire village. And you're like, everything just like, she goes up. Well, it was enough to have one snake out. All the other guys said, hey, let's get our snakes out. So in this little like 20 foot area now that I'm like kind of backed up to a wall, he's got his snake out. And then about eight other guys sit down and they're sitting, everyone's kind of cleared back a little bit. And they've got eight snakes in this pit now. That's probably eight feet in diameter. So now I'm like, shink through the roof. Like, ah, like people would bump me and be like, dude, do not push me in there. Golly, man. I just was like my nightmare to fall in the middle of this pit. So everyone's like, ah, and, and the other eight guys, finger guy, the other eight guys, they're charming their snakes. They're like, you know, doing the whole thing. And, oh, hey, that's cool. Finger guy though, his snake is just like, just going crazy over there. It's knocking the charm snakes. You're just like, man, put your snake away. There's something wrong with that snake. So he keeps got this stick. He's trying to make it do something. And everyone's just kind of like haired out. And then finally he grabbed the tail of it and he was trying to do something. And that thing just ripped back bit him right here in the webbing between his thumb and his index finger. And I'm like from here to this microphone from him. And I'm like, ha, ah, like I can see in my brain to this day, that snake is just going, it's just, it's just, it's like clamping in and just forcing venom in just, ah, ah. And he's like, he's trying to get his thumb underneath the top of that, the top lip of that snake. He's just trying to pry it up, but their fangs go backward. They're like, it, it was insane. And I'm just, and just blood now is just like, and, uh, and his finger, you know, his one finger's out crazy. I'm like, ah, and he's like, uh, finally he gets it off. And I'm just thinking, oh, he's going to kill it. Nope. Gently curls it up, puts it back in the bag. And I'm like, dude, you're dead, man. We're doing a memorial tonight, aren't we? And then he whips out a knife. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> he's going to cut off his hand. Like right now to save his life. I'm like, I can't watch this. He does it. He starts cutting strips off of it. They, they wear these like robes. He's just cutting off some strips off his robe and then he ties up his hand. I'm like, what's up, dude? How is this possible? So I asked my interpreter, like, what, 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 what did we just see right there, right? There's blood everywhere. What did we just see? He goes, oh, he had just milked him about an hour ago. He didn't have any venom in him. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that? For crying out loud, man. <laughs> oh my goodness. So back to the Bible. <laughs> oh. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. I've seen that. It's a giant disadvantage, man. I'm telling you what. Okay, so this is foolish work. All of these things have something in common with them, right? The very activity that the person is engaged in gets them. Dig in a hole, fall into it right? Corian stone, big stone falls on them. Guy cuts a tree. It shish kebabs him. Guy with his charming snake bites him. Okay. This is an echo of Genesis two and three. 
that work was supposed to be this beautiful shalom and partnership with God. Here is this garden. Keep it, tend it, care for it, produce fruit from it. It'll be great. But then Genesis 3 happens. And what happens to the ground? It's cursed, right? Cursed is the ground. It's cursed now. With sweat and with work, you're gonna not bring forth fruit. You're gonna bring forth thorns and thistles. And then in verse 19, it says this, and eventually the same ground is gonna kill you. Out of the ground you are taken and you're gonna go right back to that ground. That work was supposed to be this beautiful partnership with God. Now it's actually cursed. And the very job that you do to work and till the ground one day, that job will take you. You ever feel that way with your work? Right? Like, ah, no, ah, this job, it's killing me, right? Literally, it's killing me. That's what it's saying. So what do we do? Solomon mixes in here two pieces of advice so we don't do foolish work. First one is number one. And it's right here where it says, if the iron's blunt and one does not sharpen it, he's got to use a lot more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. What would be the wise thing to do with a dull ax? Sharpen it. Wow. Sharpen it. If your job is to cut down trees in the woods, learn how to sharpen an ax, right? The key that Solomon is getting here is this. Man, sharpen your skills. Whatever you're going to be doing in life, sharpen your skills at it, right? I have this saying at home, it says, organize or agonize. When it comes to work, you're either gonna organize the way you do things or you're gonna agonize. You're gonna either sharpen yourself and get better at your skill or you're gonna constantly be like, this job stinks. Well, are you advancing at all? Are you getting sharper or better? Man, come on, you should be. If you're making the same mistake over and over and over at your job, then at some point it's on you, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. At some point, I gotta take responsibility, right? So if I lose my wall all the time or I'm losing my keys all the time, then guess what I should probably do? Figure out a system. Have a basket somewhere that when you come in, you discipline yourself and you put your keys and your wallet in that basket every single time, right? Or you're just gonna agonize. Wow, man, That's what Solomon's saying. Get smart, sharpen yourself. And then number two, there's order. It's on verse 11. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The mistake the dude made in India was he didn't charm his snake first. Number two is this, most things in life have an order to them. And if you get out of order, you get bit. But if you get things done in order, man, it works out pretty good. To me, life is a lot like Ikea furniture. You ever put together Ikea furniture? Right, you know this, if you miss one step in there, what happens? You get firewood, just burn the whole thing. It's worthless now. Because it's once the each step, the exact step follows on the next step and you've got to do it according to an order. I YouTube everything now. Man, if I'm, if I'm doing anything I think someone else has done, I YouTube it first. Just, I want to do this as efficiently as possible because I know there's gonna be a good order to it. 
I wanna use technology. I wanna use calendars. That's what it's saying. Work is cursed, no doubt. Ground is cursed, but man, you can sharpen your skills so it's not so bad. And you can order your life in such a way that you're able to do it well, right? The believer is the same thing. As a believer, I constantly want to be sharpened and I'm not gonna be sharpened by sitting on my couch. It's gonna take some effort. As a husband, as a dad, I'm constantly wanting to be sharpened, okay? Then I need to sharpen myself and learn from people and talk and share and read to get better. Or what happens too quickly to foolish people is the want to's years go by and they become, I wish I would have. That's one of my things. I don't ever want to say that. As much as lies within me, I don't want the want to's of my life to move into, man, I wish I had. So let's sharpen and let's order or else, right? Or it's going to be foolish work. Number four, foolish talk. The beginning, the words of a wise man, verse 12, win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. Though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him for he does not know the way to the city. Foolish talk. You ever said something foolish? Most of us have. Here's what Solomon says, marks a fool. Number one, verse 14, a fool multiplies words. They talk too much. Foolish people talk too much. And if you talk too much, eventually you're going to say something that you wish you had not said, right? It's just the way things are. Proverbs, right? In the multitude of words, there lacks not sin. Eventually you're gonna make a mistake. You're gonna say something stupid, right? Maybe Solomon is reflecting having 700 wives and whatever that would cause with him, you know, 700 times a day he hears, honey, can we talk? Ah, right? Maybe that's part of this. But the other part is be very careful. Be very careful. Foolish people just can't stop talking. You ever met somebody like that? Like you get in this conversation and it's like, they don't even take a breath. They move from subject to subject to subject to subject. And you're like, how do I get out of here? Do I fake a heart attack? Right? They have an app now on your phone that will, it'll call you, right? Like, hey, I got to take this one. It's from me. It's really important. (laughs) To get out of conversations, right? You can literally set it for like two minutes. It's crazy because there's people like that. Fools, they talk too much. Number two, they get off on the wrong foot. Verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. Fools just, they begin by saying the wrong things. And beginning that way can haunt you. Here's my best example I have of this. When I worked at Met One, uh, my job was to promote people and kind of put them in the positions that I needed. And so there's this guy, he was, he was super talented. He was smart. I liked him a lot. And so I'm talking to the owner saying, hey, I'd like to move him from the low position he was at right then. I want him to work with me. And he said, no, I don't want that. I said, why not? This is his reason. He said, when we first hired him, 
um, I was walking by the break room and the break room was like a, 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 a wall with a door on it. And this guy was in there, he's talking to somebody. And right as the owner was walking by the door, someone asked this new guy, he, he said, hey, uh, been working hard today? And the guy answered, nope, hardly working. Right as the owner walked by and looked at him. And that, that one statement sealed the deal for him. I went, oh man, be so careful with your words. That's what it told me. Be so careful, Matt, with your words. Because if you begin with foolish talk, it can seal something and take away opportunity. Fools talk too much. They begin poorly. And then thirdly, they give directions when they're lost. (laughs) Right? Verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him and he does not know the way to the city. But guess what? Fools will talk like they know what they're talking about, even when they're clueless. You know, people like that, know-it-alls, they bother those of us who think we do know it all. They're annoying. Fools talk too much, get off on the wrong foot and talk about things they don't have a clue about. So what does a wise person do? You do the opposite of it. James 1.19, slow to speak, quick to listen, right? Number two, you pray, Jesus, I wanna begin conversations wisely rather than getting off on the wrong foot with people, rather than talking about things that don't matter or foolish stuff, I wanna begin conversations with wisdom. And then thirdly, if you have any question in your brain about something, you say this, you know, I'm not sure. Or the wisest words in the world, I don't know. Do you? And then you can find out if they're a fool, right? It's wisdom. You do the opposite of this. Be slow to speak. Begin wisely and just admit, yeah, I don't think I know anything about that. Can you help me? That's how you become wise because you learn from other people, All right? So foolish talk, foolish leaders. Verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Those through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. How about that for a verse? Better get context on that one. So here's what a foolish leader is. Number one, they're immature. Your king is a child. Number two, your princes feast in the morning. They're partying when they should be planning. I love reading biographies. There is a constant theme with successful men and women they get after it in the morning. So if you want a quick one, the New York Times, I think three weeks ago, had this article. It was the morning routines of very successful people today. Just went through the big people that everyone could name. All of them up early and they are getting after it in the morning because there's something about the human brain. It's its best when it's rested. And so successful people know, hey, in the morning, not the time to party. 
In the morning, it's the time to get after it, have a routine, work hard, go for it. Foolish leaders though, nope, not getting after it. So they're immature, they party when they should be planning. Number three, they're lazy. Verse 18, the roof's sinking in, the house is leaking. They don't understand like the simple wisdom of a stitch in time saves nine, right? Oh, get a little leak. Oh, it'll forget it. What happens then? Well, the leak then rots out all the understructure, then gets your floor, rots it out, right? But if you just fix the leak, you're good. But fools are always after the newest stuff, fads, newest idea, newest plan, newest thing. And they're poor stewards of what they already have. Foolish leaders are. Instead of stewarding well, hey, we have all this stuff right here. Let's make sure we're getting the most out of it. It's always, no, I want something new. I want something different. I want something exciting. And they're not stewarding well what they already have. And then lastly, they're just kind of indifferent. So verse 19 in context is irony, right? Just like bread is made for laughter. Anybody grab a dinner roll and be like, ha, 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 Right? So you're supposed to like get this, like I, this is not, I'm not being serious right now, right? So it's irony. So, and money answers everything. Isn't that what foolish leaders do? Just throw money at it. That's what he's saying. It's the same theme, right? This is a foolish leader. Just throw money at that thing. It'll solve it. I don't want to think it through or plan well or really get in there and figure out what the problem is. Just throw money at it. Money solves everything. Money is helpful, no doubt about it, but it doesn't solve everything. Okay, here's what a good leader does. Verse 17, happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility and your prince's feast at the proper time. Wise leaders have godly families. You can tell a good leader by his family. Is he a good husband? Is he a good wife? Good kids, right? That's where it matters. Are you leading well in your home? And then... They do things in the proper time. That's what I said on Sunday. Wise people work when they're supposed to work and it enables them to play when they're supposed to play and rest when they're supposed to rest. And life works well then. You're not pressed and you're not, not frustrated and you're not overwhelmed because you're working where you should work and you can play when you're supposed to play and you're resting when you should be resting. That's what wise people do. Foolish words, verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature will tell the matter. We have a saying, a little birdie told me. You know where that's from? Right here. Twitter. Their little bird, that's, it's based on, a little birdie told me, it's based on this right here. Fascinating, right? Right? Be careful, he's saying. You might think you're talking in complete confidentiality. No way, right? The NSA is listening to everything you say if you have a phone, so just know that, right? When you heard about the Nest thing with Google, the extra microphone in there, did you guys hear that? Right, and they haven't explained yet why, oh, we didn't know it was there. What? Right, Google knows everything, right? They're using that mic for something, so... It, you're, you're being listened to. You just have to think of life that way. Everything that I say, it will get back to this person. Am I willing to do that? And if you're not, don't say it. 
Don't say it, it's just that simple. Be very careful, it will get back to them. The most careful, wise people don't say things they wouldn't want that person to hear. That's what Solomon's saying, all right? We did chapter 11, verses one through six. I'll make one point on verses seven through 10, and then we'll go. Light is sweet, verse seven, chapter 11. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. From verse seven down through most of chapter 12, which we'll hit next, next week, it's Solomon's last words to his grandchild. I wanna impart these wise words to you. I wanna give you something before I go, before this is it. And and I just sum verses seven through 10 by this, enjoy life. Hey, young person, enjoy life, right? When you're young, you've got energy. I can drink a six pack of Red Bulls and still not keep up with my five-year-old Myron, right? Because they've just got this energy and this vitality to them. Like I get tired watching them play. They love to play. I love to take a nap now. It's how you know like age has changed you. So Solomon is saying, man, while you've got this vitality and this energy, it's vanity, it's gonna, it's gonna go away pretty soon. Enjoy life, go for it. And number one, he says this. Verse nine, let your heart cheer you. Do you know that being cheerful is a choice? It totally is. Young people learn this early. Being cheerful is a choice. It's how you look at life. It's how you look at your situation. It's how you look at predicaments. You can choose to be cheerful. It's why the New Testament says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because it's a choice. I can choose today to say I'm choosing joy. Then number two, Walk, verse nine, in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Do what you love. Choose, cheer. Number two, do something you love. I had a professor who said this, figure out what you love and then find a way to make money at it. If you want a fulfilled life, figure out what you love, what your heart really loves to do. And we have this an amazing economy today. We were talking on, Tuesday about it, like just the, the different ways people can make money now, like Uber and Lyft and, and a, a website and just, it's unbelievable. Like there's never been a time in history where you have more opportunity to do something you love and make money at it. It does it take hard work. Absolutely. Are you going to fail at it? Probably. Are you going to find success? I hope so. So Solomon would say, man, walk in the way of your heart and the side of your eyes, find stuff you love. 
Figure out how to make money at it. Do it. Why not? This is your life. You're in control of it. And then thirdly, and very importantly, but know that all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remember, there is a God. Remember, there is a God. Your worldview should always include in it, God. Is what I'm doing glorifying to him? Is the path I'm taking, what I think my heart wants to do, does it bring him glory? Because Revelation 4, 11 says this, for his good pleasure, we were created. If we're not bringing God pleasure, then we will never find fulfillment in our own life. That part of the way the makeup of humans are, the part of our makeup is this, it's your life should in some way bring glory. It should image back to God, his image. We should be reflecting back to him, his character, his goodness, his mercy, his purposes. And when you have a life like that, ah, you have great fulfillment because you're imaging him well. So always, always keep God in the equation. And then lastly, verse 10, remove, this is a imperative, remove vexation from your heart. Choose cheer, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Here's what I think he's saying and we'll get to this next week more. Deal with your junk when you're young because it's easier. The older you get, the deeper the rut becomes, the more baggage you have and the harder it is for you to straighten out. Deal with your junk when you're young. Get counseling, talk to people, pray, seek Jesus when you're young. Get it figured out then before you ruin marriage after marriage after marriage, before you ruin your family, you hurt your kids, your career, before your health is all gone. Man, take care of it when you're young. Put it away then. And then he's gonna get into chapter 12, which kind of builds on that. It's brilliant. It makes me think as I read and as I read this today, am I a fool or am I wise? Am I dealing with the junk right now that I know exists in my life? Am I actually doing that? Do I wake up in the morning? Am I choosing cheer? Because I can do that. Or am I choosing pain and vexation? Am I really careful with my words? Because they matter. They can hurt people or help people, right? Who, who do I idolize? Are they people of character? Are they people that I say, I want my kids to be like that? Who do I idolize? Right. Am I being careful about the little things in life, the little compromises, the little flies? Because it's the little compromises that eventually will take you out. Rarely is it the big stuff. Am I careful? It made me spend some time praying. Jesus, I wanna be wise. Help me in these ways. Confessing, I'm not careful enough with my words. Help me to be more careful with my words. Help me with any little compromise. Search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me on the path everlasting. Cleanse me from that stuff. 
That's what it cost me to do. Man, super healthy, super wise. I'd recommend tomorrow morning doing the same thing. So Jesus, we're so grateful for Solomon. Very wise man. Given insight into the way the world works, but even more into the way our minds and our hearts work. I pray that we would listen well to the wisdom of Solomon. And I'm so grateful that unlike Solomon, each one of us has the ability to pray to you as our savior and creator, the one that renews us and changes us. That we're not left out with the enigma of life, questioning, wondering, worrying, but we've been given your spirit and your power and your mind. May we lean strong into those things today tomorrow. May we be quick to confess where we've been foolish, allowing you to be strong where we're weak. May we not be prideful, but may we be humble, accepting help from you. So I pray for us tonight, Wednesday, March 20th. I pray that we'd leave here better knowing how to live wise lives and grants pass Oregon. And we pray this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.